And then I heard the term NFT and I'm like, you know what, these, there's going to be a digital collection platform one day. And then I dove into it a little bit more and learned about the blockchain and my brain just completely exploded. And it's like my world opened up. I could put every single type of media into these NFTs. I could do characters, animation. I could create, um, I could generate characters. I could create thousands of these, which was something I've been doing since I was a kid, but you can only draw 100, 200, 300 before your brain explodes. And then I, I figured out how to make it in code. And once you step into the NFT world or the crypto world, I mean, there's no turning back. You can't, it's like going from a black and white film to, to color. Welcome back to Cool Hand Crypto, where cinema, culture, and crypto collide. Please hit that subscribe button. It really helps fuel the production of these conversations. Today's guest is not just a creative powerhouse, but someone I've grown to rely on for education as I've watched him in the trenches navigating their own self-imposed NFT bootcamp. With over 192,000 followers on TikTok, we've witnessed the good, the bad, and the ugly but always informative as he's launched 9,999 Crunchy Cow NFTs. Ryan Maloney, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I want to get into TikTok, NFTs, Crunchy Cows, a little bit of everything, but uh, let's start with your background. I've been obsessed with art since I was about two years old. I was uh, born in Buffalo, New York, a town called Orchard Park, right out, about 15 minutes outside of Buffalo. And I just grew up absolutely obsessed with drawing obsessed with cartoons, obsessed with teaching myself art, and also obsessed with sports as well. So I was very competitive and constantly driven to like teach myself to become better and better. And um, I've been drawing and creating probably every day for 35 plus years. I'm just absolutely addicted to it. Did you always know or feel that you could make art a professional endeavor? Or did you ever doubt that this could be something that you could make money from? At a very, very early age, I, it sort of clicked in my brain that um, this is a skill that I can continually develop and build. And there's pretty much no other way around it. I'm going to make money from my artwork when I grow up. And I, I'd say that was, that was probably around the age of six, seven, or eight that I felt that, that sense of urgency, like, it, this is it. Like, there is no plan B. Yeah, I think that's the only way to do it, having no plan yeah. B. <laughs> when did you start making money from art? You know, did you do comic books or as a kid, you know, did you sell, you know, anything at school or, or when did you start oh, yeah. sort of selling your, your, your creative work? Uh, so the first time I remember making a significant amount of money, which was probably $150 or so, my friend's mom was going to paint his bedroom like just a, a shade of yellow, but I was over there at their house. She's like, Ryan, you know what? Why don't you just draw all over the wall? And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, just draw characters all over the wall. So I spent a day awesome. and just drew all of our friends around the entire wall. I don't know how great it was. I was probably 12 years old uh, and she paid me 150 bucks. But yeah, I was, I remember early, maybe a little bit before then I was making like a quarter here, 50 cents there on just drawing my friends. It was basically like, like freeze pop money for the summer. Like anytime I needed to go to 7-Eleven to get slurpee or freeze pop i would like walk around the uh the rec center where i'd go to camp in the summer and just draw everybody and eventually i'd find somebody that would pay me to do it what kind of art or what artists inspired your style and i know that something that that i really like about your art and this may not be on purpose or or it may be a coincidence was it reminds me a lot of ren and stimpy which was yeah. uh, a favorite show of mine growing up and yeah. um, especially with the, I think we are logos like a toast. It's kind of looks like toast or something. Yeah, right? it's, a, it's a bologna it's, sandwich. It's a, a yeah, exactly. And I, I always think of powdered toast man or, or something. So yeah. I'm curious, A, did Ren and Stimpy uh, have any uh, uh, impression on you? But but also who, who were the artists and, and what kind of, you know, how did you develop your style? I mean, first of all, Ren and Stimpy was a huge influence and I definitely watched it growing up, but then there was, I didn't, I didn't realize that I could do that style probably until I was 19, 20, 21. And, you know, clips of it started coming online. And then I would sort of steal the way they did their smooth lines in their flat color character with their textured backgrounds and even the insane comedy that they have in there. Like 
I just love that off the wall yeah. comedy that just almost makes no sense at all. That's that always appealed to me. Um, I think um, so. My style definitely was. I sort of ripped it off when I was about six or seven. My aunt and uncle got me a copy of a VHS tape called Bruce Blitz Draws, and it was like basically how kids watch YouTube now and they draw. You know, they they do a, a draw along. Um, I would do that on a on a VCR, and this guy named Bruce Blitz would teach you how to draw cartoons. And I just remember drawing noses thousands of times, like, oh, I could draw a nose this way, but also this way. And I sort of built a library in my head of combinations of body parts. So anytime I needed it, like the, anytime I needed to draw one of my friends, they had a nose like this, I could draw it that way. And Bruce Blitz was like the it opened up my eyes and just taught me that you know I can really teach myself how to become an artist and how to get attention with my artwork just by practicing and developing the skill and following along. Um, so if I'm not rambling on too much, there's one other moment. It's not so much about stealing the style, but I remember um, probably around six, seven or eight is really like when my artistic like energy kicked in. And uh, my brother and my friends were playing in our basement, going crazy, probably beating each other up. And then somebody put in a VHS tape and I remember the room froze. Like everybody, their eyes just went wide, smiles froze on their faces. And I just looked around and I said to myself, whatever's on the TV behind me, I want to make that. Like whatever just did that to all these people and calmed everybody down and put a smile on their face, like that's what I'm going to do forever. And I turned around and it was, it was the first episode of The Simpsons. Awesome. And yeah. I, I, you know, I thought to myself like, oh, I, I can make that, which clearly I, I couldn't at the time, but it would sort of been the uh, like the carrot that I've been chasing ever since. I can hear audiences now going, "What's a VHS tape?" But oh yeah, yeah. no, that's awesome. Let's not get into that. <laughs> uh, did you always know sort of what who your audience was as far as were you creating art for children, for teenagers, for adults? Did you ever experiment with the different sort of genres or or demographics uh, as far as what kind of art you were creating? Yeah, I would never create specifically for an audience to start. I would I would sort of create for myself and like put my passion and my time into creating one style and then share that with my friends and my family. And at a young age I didn't realize it, but I was storing up like information in my brain that this, you know, my group of of friends that are boys, they like this style of drawing. Drawing girls, girls love to be drawn with these you know, type of eyelashes. And then also I would, I would draw things for my teachers and I could tell like they, they love the details. They would, you know, just their feedback and their, their responses, let me know what they looked for. So I would take that information, go back to the drawing board, maybe work on the teeth a little bit more and then keep handing that out and trying to scale it out. But always I would sort of put people in compartments like the boys, the girls, the adults, and, you know, figure out ways that I could create something I really like, but, um, knowing that you do have to sort of be specific and target a certain group to get a certain reaction. And when you create something in the middle, you either create a new demographic or it just falls completely flat. So where did you land? I'm always testing. So I'm basically now it's what creates a revenue stream or what creates um, a lead, lead generation pipeline or what creates um, growth in numbers. So if if I find that that's um, artists on TikTok, well, that's hashtag art or hashtag digital art. And that's what I'm going to focus on and drive home hard. But I'm always thinking, all right, you know, that's eventually going to get tapped out. So I need to be exploring all the way around me, like, you know, different hashtags, different channels, different platforms. So it's still sort of the same thing, creating things I really like and putting it out there and testing it. A lot of my stuff is complete garbage and falls flat. So that's the stuff that wasn't really specific, didn't find a home. but I'm always feeling it like, oh, all right, that didn't work, but Procreate Tutorials really works well. So I'm going to drive that home hard, but I'm not going to pigeonhole myself and stay stuck in that bucket. I'm going to look around and constantly sort of expand my, my comfort zones. So prior to TikTok and prior to NFTs, um, how were you navigating all this? Where were you going? Where were you getting feedback? How were you selling your art? I've been a graphic designer and animator for... 15 or since 2005. So from 2005 to 2013, I worked at companies like Turner Broadcasting, um, a bunch of startup companies, 
uh, design agencies in New York City. And then I was a freelancer for a year. Um, and then I, when I signed back up on board full time as a designer at a, another startup, after a year, it sort of went south. And I was at the um, at that point in the row where I had, I had to decide whether I'm going to go find another full time job or just jump off the uh, jump off the ship and go freelance or independent full time. So to answer your question, sure. I was clients and bosses were always my means of getting feedback, um, but also posting online. But I was doing it very uh, hesitantly and with a lot of fear, like uh, maybe I shouldn't be posting cartoons when my professional colleagues are are watching me, but um, I'm right, always right. dipping my toe in the water almost every day and just listening to the feedback, looking at the comments, engaging with people. And you learn a little bit. A lot of time there's, you know, some some garbage comments you got to deal with, but I'm always creating and making sure that I put it out there. It almost doesn't matter where it is, like anywhere to get feedback and um, sort of open myself up to criticism. Um, that's going to help me grow and learn. So you know, I'm sometimes I'll focus on TikTok, but I think it's, you know, I'm always open to to putting anywhere I can. Is there a particular format that you love or want to do or 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 as you said, it doesn't really matter. It's you just like creating art and it, it doesn't really matter whether it's a music video, an NFT line. Up until now, it's been ab about exploring like different mediums, but always having like my go to like my go-to character design for toy lines or my animated music videos for artists. And it's, it's these set buckets that have always brought me in revenue and brought me attention. Um, but now I'm starting to look back at like the last 15 years and it was v very unfocused, very scattered. And now it's almost like going forward, my art is uh, creating a creative business and like being brave enough to put myself out there, put my face on camera and creating relationships to build like a, a substantial creative business where I can choose what projects to work on, but also bring in talented people that are way more talented and younger than I am to help build those projects. So uh, yeah, up until now, it's been things I, re I was really passionate about and enjoyed and constant discovery. And now moving forward, I'm sort of like locking in on this um, storytelling but, you know, figuring out ways to incorporate my creativity into other brands or brands I create and making a business out of it. Tell me more about storytelling. A lot of these uh, NFTs or, or JPEGs I'm seeing, um, some of them do have really intricate stories behind them and, and, and some of them don't. So not necessarily with Crunchy Cows yet, but what, how do you approach storytelling with your art? I'm obsessed with um, the hero's journey. I think that is uh, something that's embedded in all of our DNA. I think we all wake up the hero of our own story and we go about the day and we end it back in the same bed, having learned something or pushed ourselves a little bit more. And then we're resting and getting ready to do it the next day. I think that's like at the core, there's something like, you know, primal about that, like connected with like the rising and the falling of the sun that I found like that's, People are obsessed with that or obsessed with movies and stories because of that hero's journey. So any anytime I can incorporate that into my own work, uh, be it through uh, like documenting my process on TikTok and having it be highs and lows and being totally honest about the things I'm learning, I think, you know, incorporating that story is what attracts people to my projects and uh, refining and sharpening my storytelling skills increases my business and my ability to repeat and do the things that I'm passionate about and continually work that story into it. So when did you first hear about TikTok? It must have been two years ago. And what I did is I'd have to look back at my first video, but I just had a bunch of animations and I posted one like a fake commercial I made for um, Yeti, the coffee mug company. And I think that was the one that got a few thousand views or something. and. Up until now, I'd just been like dabbling away on Instagram or Facebook, getting likes from my friends and families. And this was like the, the first time other than commercial projects where I saw like, whoa, I can I can get this many likes myself. Like, I'm not a rapper or a singer. Like, wait a minute, like what's going on here? Like, can everybody become this rock star of their own little world now? And then I just told myself, all right, I'm gonna post on TikTok once a day, keep testing it out. And then I got to a point where I noticed when I put my ugly old face in the frame, 
that would get more views than just my art or my animation. So my new rule to myself was I have to post a video of my face and my Kermit the Frog voice on TikTok every day going forward. And once I committed to that, um, it really just grew and took off. And I, I became, became more comfortable just being goofy and uh, not taking myself too seriously as like this professional artist. And um, that's why I think right. I've stuck with TikTok. And that's why I think people stick with it. So what has been your formula? Is it to post one TikTok a day or, or something else? Yeah, I went through a spurt where I do three to five a day. That was probably a year ago, like in the, in the middle of COVID or something where, you know, everybody had time to do that. Um, but that is tough. That's a tough cadence. So I, I do, I sort of look at it like a sport, like this is my cadence. I have to go do my workout for the day. Like I have to hit this number. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if I feel insecure today. If I feel like this is gonna, if I'm gonna look like a fool today, I have to hit that cadence and I have to put that out there. Like that's my rule to myself. And then when it comes to the content, like the, like what I'm talking about, it, it's usually something like I'm thinking about that day, a project I'm working on, or even like a struggle I'm having, like, oh, I don't know what to do, 3D, 3D design, here's my weak attempt. And then like the craziest stuff happens. So it's just, um, yeah, I think that's my formula, like scraping my brain, what's on my mind and what I'm not sure about and what I think is happening and a little bit of uh, future projection and trying to help people you know, avoid some pitfalls when they're going through their projects. What is your philosophy on, on TikTok as far as, um, I know I saw a video of yours, I think recently that you were uh, commenting on a comment about, uh, no, you're not an influencer. You're not going to do branded videos. This is something different. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, it, my channel grew out of nowhere. I had no idea that like normal people could get this type of, um, I mean, I'm, I don't even have a big channel. And so I'm like sort of, you know, saying mine's big and it's, it's not, um, but it's pretty big. That, it's pretty big. Uh, yeah. But I, you know, I have perfectionist disease and that driven attitude of why isn't it 5 million yet? You know, I put, it's like it probably the be. same amount of work be. to have yeah. a 5 million person channel. Yeah. Less so work. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd have a team behind me shooting it and editing it. So what was the, uh, the, the, my philosophy on, let's talk about brand deals specifically. When you grow, um, your DMs are going to be filled with companies that just say, hey, can you promote our product? Can you just talk about our product? And especially with NFTs, the amount of promoters I get, you know, fill up my DMs is nauseating. And I just had to make a decision at one point, like, I'm not an influencer where I want to take your, like, you're going to pay me to talk about your product. The only way I'm going to talk about a product product is if it lit me up and it's something that I can use. And that's like the filter I use that hopefully others will find value out of it. So if somebody sends me their software and it's just a link and says, hey, you might like this, there's a good chance I'll talk about it if I love it. But if they're saying, hey, how much does a, a sponsored post cost on your TikTok? If, if money's involved in that conversation, I, I just don't feel right about it. So I'd rather have TikTok be where I talk about the creative projects I'm working on, uh, build relationships with potential clients or um, people I can do projects with, and then have income from services and my media love company or my NFTs so I can continue to make TikToks for free and not have to worry about brand deals paying the bills. At 192,000 followers, is TikTok itself a source of revenue? A few dollars a day. Yeah, maybe maybe up to $20 there. And that's through the creator, the, the creator fund. Is that right? Yeah. And, uh, I also don't believe I should ever touch that. I'm never touching it because, because it's not about money. If, if they see that it's about money for you, it's going to change. You know, I feel like the algorithms relationship with you will change. Like I want, I don't care what that gets to there unless it's like automatically withdrawn. Like, sorry, that's not what it's about for me. Can you talk about that a little more? So you think that withdrawing the money will affect the way the algorithm behaves with you? Um, that's my weird thinking about it. It's almost like trying to think of an example here. But all I know is when I look at it, I just go with my gut reaction like, ugh, I don't want this. Like, I mean, what am I going to do with $3 a day from these videos? Like, I'd rather 
continue to make videos and just be like a free source of information so people can learn and that the relationships I build create uh, projects with people that are, you know, a million times that. So I don't know. I just don't touch it. It's probably fine to do it, but I'm hyper paranoid about that stuff. Like once you start taking money from somebody, then you're sort of their, you know, their employee and you really work for them. Where does that drive to educate come from? It's sort of been recent with TikTok. Um, first of all, it gets attention for me. I mean, that's people want to learn. They want, um, you know, they're constantly consuming content. So they want something that's sort of um, healthy for their brain. So they're learning while they're scrolling through. Um, and it's fun for me. Like I can just be a goofball and, and piece together these things. And I also just feel like a responsibility that if I'm spending all this time developing these skills, I'm going to filter it through myself who has a hard time learning all of these things so people can easily digest that. And then um, a third thing that I think about that's back to like the primal DNA thing is I just think about like, what if my grandkids find this in a hundred or 200 years? Like, would they learn from it? Like, would they see this and be like, oh, pop, pop, he was a creative guy. That's what I'm feeling inside. Like I'm creative. And does it put them like 10 steps ahead of where they were? So I'm I'm constantly thinking like short-term teaching people now, but like really long-term, like what are people in a hundred years that find this going to think? Have you thought about doing any type of um, course or, or a more formatted uh, educational thing on, on TikTok or NFTs or art? Yeah, it's been on my mind and I just posted one on YouTube, sort of my first full length tutorial, but I don't know. I haven't figured out how to do that course thing with an organic natural feel. Once I do, maybe I'll do right. it. And it only needs to be, all right, it, it can only, if I make a course, it is something that I've used that has like rock solid cement in my brain. Like I know for a fact, this is right. super helpful and super, like a super strong foundation you can use to go do something or build something. If it's like something like uh, coding for artists, like, I don't know anything about that really, other than working with developers. So I need to learn it. I need to go through it. I need to be burned and, and learned from it before I can uh, create a course about it. But yeah, I think I owe it to, um, you know, younger people like the, you know, the Bruce Blitzes created courses for me. So I feel like, you know, one day I probably will create courses, you know, but then I also have that fear like, oh, will it be a total waste of time or am, should I stick with services or cross over that bridge? So as I'm saying this, I'm like, uh-oh, here's a TikTok series coming up about me learning how to do this. I recommend you do it. I mean, I think people will eat it up. It's it's totally interesting. You know, I, I love myself doing these type of courses and having a really formatted journey through learning something. I can also go to YouTube and pick up tutorials and things like that. Um, but I love it when I can dig in from step one to a hundred and and just sort of marinate and and absorb all this information at once so i i think it's a, a great idea and you're great at it oh i'm I'm great at the short form that's what scares me i'm like oh god is anybody gonna pay pay attention for 20 or 30 minutes but i have a question on your courses do you, how do you structure story into your courses like do, does that do you take that into account like when you create it is there a hero's journey are you guiding them through this process oh so i i haven't created any courses i just mean i i love um, going through courses, you know, I, I, uh, became a drone operator, for example, and I, 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 be, I earned my, uh, FAA license and I went through that course or, um, a lot of my courses, a lot of the courses that I, that I watch are more, you know, blender or, or new software, um, yeah. things like that or masterclass. If you ever watch like Scorsese do masterclass or any of these, uh, I haven't, how is, you know, did you watch that one? I've watched a couple and they're not very good. They're really just letting these celebrity creators <laughs> just sort of blabber on and then they, yeah. they pretend as if it's a course, but, uh, no, they're, they're not great, but LinkedIn learning or, uh, udemy.com. Th those have been great resources. Lin it used to be lynda.com was LinkedIn learning a while ago. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I, I find great value in them. But yeah, but TikTok has also become a, a place where I go, not for courses, but to, to learn from people like you. Uh, Interesting. So yeah, it's definitely a, a different, different animal. Uh, I feel like if I watched a Martin Scorsese um, masterclass, it would be too fluffy for me. Like the lighting would be too perfect and everybody, they're doing retakes and stuff. 
I want to see like the dirt. Like my favorite movie of all yeah. time is Six Days to Air, the South Park documentary. Yeah. I'm like obsessed. I, I with actually, that. I've never seen it. I'll have to oh, check man. it out. It's so good. It's so good. They make an entire episode of South Park in six days, but it's like down to like the creators like eating Big Macs. Like I want to see like those details. And I'm thinking like if I do a course, I need to be creating something along with the students. Like they got to see it, everything, or or else it's not good enough. Like I, they need to learn that it's not about taking these courses and then you're good to go. It's about going through the fire the journey. And, yeah. Yeah. And keep on going. And once you get through that course, now apply it 10 times, 20 times, a thousand times over. Like there could be a course just on repetition and consistency and like discipline. Like, yeah. So now as we're talking, like the, the juices are flowing a little bit. So it'd be oh, fun. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm in account. Count me in. You've got one <laughs> uh, subscriber for sure. Thank you. We'll do it. <laughs> It's uh, ten thousand dollars, by the way. No, I'm joking. Do you take a uh, uh, credit card? Ethereum. <laughs> yeah. Ethereum only. Ethereum, right. So let's transition into NFTs. When did you start hearing about uh, NFTs, and and why did you think this was a good idea? So NFTs sort of found me because I was super scattered, drawing characters, making animations. I would just do this stuff outside of my client work. I would just do it for fun. So. And I, I had, used to have clients that would, they'd be paying me to do projects, but then they would see my personal work and they'd be like, Ryan, why are you doing this? And I never had a good answer for it. I'm like, I don't know. I just love drawing a hundred characters every night. Like, do I have to have an answer for this? And then I started to make a card series, a collectible card series on TikTok. Uh, I called it Beastly Ballers. And I was going to print it on paper, go over to China, have it shipped over here. And it, it would be like a garbage pal kids, collectible cards. And then I heard the term NFT and I'm like, you know what, these, there's going to be a digital collection platform one day. And then I dove into it a little bit more and learned about the blockchain and it, my brain just completely exploded. And it's like my world opened up. I could put every single type of media into these NFTs. I could do characters, animation. I could create, um, I could generate characters. I could create thousands of these, which was something I've been doing since I was a kid but you can only draw 100, 200, 300 before your brain explodes. And then I, I figured out how, how to make it in code. And once you step into the NFT world or the crypto world, I mean, there's no turning back. You can't, it's like going from a black and white film to, to color. Yeah, I, I agree. With the NFT world, did you feel like this was a, a fad or something that you could just capitalize on now? Or did you really see a, a vision for the future? for how how art is going to be uh, distributed and and um and and how audiences are going to reach it at first for probably a year i thought it would be a fad i didn't i saw i saw bored apes and i'm like nah you know this is probably nothing there's there's nothing to this but then i thought back to like i rollerbladed for one year in middle school and that was like the trend of all trends back in the day and right. you know i thought i think i was burned from that that uh like you know don't dive too deep into any one thing because it could all collapse one day so i was a little worried Did you about break your arm or something no i didn't break my arm but i was wearing jinkos to school and uh it got pretty ugly um in terms of that in terms of uh the clothing i was wearing so uh i once i got out of that i was like oh i'm never gonna get burned like that i'm gonna stick with sports which is like you know the steady thing that will always be here so when I saw NFTs, I'm like, yeah, that might be another fad. And then um, it's when I started to learn about blockchain, I felt that the blockchain has a future. Everything needs to be like the internet needs to be picked up and decentralized and put around the world. And I thought to myself, all right, well, if there's these train tracks of the blockchain going around the world that everybody's going to use one day, whatever these things are on top of it, be it NFTs or tokens or coins, they're always going to be riding around on it. So even if you invest heavily in NFTs right now, the, the trend as we know it could pop and go away. But once the dust settles, there's going to be remnants of this that is like a train on these tracks for forever just because of the, the technology, the secondary royalties that creators get, um, the ability to um, pass these things around your artwork or digital assets around to people. I think that has legs for forever from here on out. Whether they're going to be called NFTs or not, I don't know. Can you tell me a little bit more about the secondary royalties? Because I, 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 I think that's a, a part of this that everyone is or most people are aware of, but not everyone quite understands it or 
how it works and and why it's it's so great, why it's important. Yeah. Oh, I think if we compare it to the way artwork was even 10 years ago, an artist would create a painting and sell it to a buyer or an auction house and they would get paid, the auction house would get paid. But after that, that artist is left in the dust. They're, that painting is traded forward for all of time. So they never get paid anything. So with the blockchain, you can create an NFT, make your artwork, sell it, but there's a record, there's a contract of that, of that transaction of the NFT. And once, and on OpenSea, you can set your secondary sales percentage, which is usually between five and 15%. So every time you sell it once, you get paid $100. Let's say we're selling it for $100. And if somebody takes that and sells it for $1,000 in the future, you automatically get a payment to your wallet for six, say it's set at 6%, you get $60 to your wallet, no questions asked. You are the creator and the founder. You're like the CEO of your artwork or of the this artwork you create, and you're constantly getting paid royalties for it every time they sell in the future. So as an artist, do you want your art to, your NFT art to be constantly reselling for that reason? It's nice. Um, I've had Beastly Ballers resell and I'll wake up and there's emails from OpenSea saying you just got paid secondary royalties. So it's nice to have them always selling, but I think it's nicer to have a lot of value in one and, and sell one time and then be held for six months and the value doubles and then sold rather than these little chip shot sales uh, for you know the next two months and then they die off. So um, I think it comes down to um, you wanna keep creating to make yourself and um, sort of your fame grow and then your artwork becomes more valuable and then people will hold on to that and there's more demand and, and a rising price for your artwork in the future. This is no substitute for your TikTok, but can you give us sort of a, a brief portrait of your your NFT bootcamp that you've gone through. Well, let's start, what is Crunchy Cows? So it's nine, here's my sales pitch. It's 9,999 cows. Most of them are auto-generated, but when I first started the project, I drew 20 of them and I told myself, I'm gonna hand draw 5,000 of these characters. And within three weeks, I was like, nope, that's not happening. This will take me two years. So as soon as I hit that point, I thought to myself, um, first of all, I need to auto-generate these characters. So I need to go learn how to do that. So I documented that process. Once I got into that, it's like every single day of creating an NFT, it's like you take one step forward and then you see here's three more doors you need to go through to learn or to guess, like to figure things out. And once I realized that, all right, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and have so much more to learn. Um, I just sort of labeled this entire process my NFT bootcamp, and uh, I've been going through it ever since. I feel like a, a good 40-day bootcamp is is when you become sort of well versed at it. You know, I'm not able to code a smart contract or anything, but if you go through the process of just creating the visuals of an NFT, uploading to OpenSea, or having your own contract written by a developer, after about 40 days, you start speaking the lingo, you start teaching your friends how to do it, and you feel like you're conditioned, like you're in much better. Uh, so it really is like going through a real boot camp. Like you just feel fit, like you've gone through hell and now you're ready to teach others or to do it again. Can we break down some of that language for, for people who don't understand this? So what, what is a smart contract and why do you need it if you're creating uh, a line of NFTs? So a smart contract is the data that interacts or gets locked into the blockchain. And then you have an NFT on top of that, which would be uh, the digital artwork or media or music or a film or film pieces or nostalgic uh, tradables. And that, that NFT as a smart contract, that is necessary to document that transaction on the blockchain. But within that smart contract, and I'm not a coder, and I'm still, I'm, I'm about to put myself through like a coding for artists bootcamp. Um, these contracts are broken down and have things like, um, how much you're going to sell it for in a pre-sale versus how much you're going to sell it for when you go to a public sale. You can increase the prices. You're allowed to whitelist people. So creating a pre-sale list is a, is a whitelist. You can collect uh, wallet addresses and give people uh, the ability to buy your NFT in a short period of time for a better price or a different incentive than people in the public sale. You can... Um, you can wallet split is one too. So if there's multiple people working on an NFT project, you can put your addresses in the wallet. So 
when that NFT sells and you withdraw the funds, that gets split to you, to me, or to whoever's working on the project. Can you talk a little bit more about sort of the bumps and bruises you you received at the beginning of this process? You know, you you went in and, you, and tell me if this is this is uh, incorrect, but you went in and said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna one way or another create nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine crunchy cow NFTs. Did you need to spend money on something that would help you auto generate once you realized? Um, you couldn't do it yourself, or is that a free tool? So I went all over the place. First, I, I looked at the coders that have connected with me in the comments and the messages. I started working with de with a developer, but that was very time consuming to me. And the developer would take two days just to generate one a batch of 100 so I could test. But then my layering was off in my characters, and I had to redraw all my characters. And it, it became like a two-week nightmare working with somebody else. And I thought to myself, well, I need to be able to draw these and test these out right away. So I think I made a video about working with a developer and coding these and what the process was like. And then somebody saw that video and created some software and said, hey, I created this software based on your video. I hope you can use it. Wow. And within wow. 10 seconds, I was generating 100 of my cows. And I was like, this, first of all, TikTok is amazing for giving me this opportunity and this help. And secondly, it's awesome that people can build businesses off of it. Like, it, it blows my mind. And then, um, yeah, so I started to use uh, something called NFT-generator.art to generate the cows. And it's software developer that I have no association with. But I just, I give him feedback. Like, I I'd probably torment him a little bit. Like, hey, I need to, um, I don't remember what it was, like, shift around my layers. Like, can I do that? And so he would build it that night. And then I would uh, I would be able to um, to do it the next day. And his gift to me was I could generate my collection for one dollar. That's my uh, that's my affiliation with him. But it is a paid product, and I've seen other paid products launch since then. But some people use free scripts and free tools to generate their code. I'm sure it's it's possible um, if you know a little bit of coding. But my brain doesn't work that way. So I go with help, uh, people that can help me or nice fancy interfaces. I believe you've talked about this on TikTok. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't bring it up. And I can certainly edit this out if you don't want to talk about it. But can you um, tell us a little bit more about the more of the hard costs of doing this? Yeah, I'll talk about it. I want people to know this. Um, so I, a lot of them were surprises. So first of all, I knew there would be a cost of writing the contract, which ended up being around $2,000. And I also had a minting site um, developed. I designed it. I did the UI, you know, the logo, the buy button, the package deals on uh, the Crunchy Cows website. And then I had a developer code that and write a smart contract with it. So that would be the site that everybody goes to to mint these cows. And minting means write them to the blockchain and have them transferred to your wallet. So that was... Is that site a normal site or is that a Web3 site? It's technically a Web3 site because it has your wallet, just connect wallet button. And when you connect that wallet... Uh, you can interact with whatever's going on on the website, which is awesome. I mean, Web3, we could we could talk about that too. It's going to, you're never going to have to store any passwords ever again, which I can't wait for. Um, but back to the hard costs. Uh, I think I probably did the entire project for around $10,000 in total, which was uh, the minting website, the smart contract. And you need money to deploy the the smart contract onto the Ethereum blockchain which at the time gas fees were super high. So it was around $3,000. And then I wasted a lot of money working with developers trying to generate the cows to begin with. So all in all, probably at $10,000, if you're savvy, you want to spend the time to learn how to code and do it all yourself. You know, you could do it for, uh, you know, just the cost to deploy the contract to the, to the, to the blockchain. Have you made your money back? Uh, how fast did you make your money back? If so, and, and what's the current trajectory? Yeah. So we've done over six Ethereum, uh, around 30,000 in profits, which is still sitting there. Um, I don't think we'll touch it unless we have our specific marketing campaign locked down. And once those funds get pulled out, it automatically gets deployed. And then at the, you know, the first milestone we hit, we will have enough funds to start building the, the country club. So has money been made back? No. I mean, on paper or on the website or on the blockchain? Yes. But uh, it's all being reinvested. But in theory, you could take it out to pay yourself back or... or I could take or that money and else. run. I could just rug pull it to the hills. Yeah. yeah. 
And a lot of yeah. people do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it is it a rug pull though? It's it's money you've you've earned, right? Well, it's money I've earned, but once you make an NFT, you'll you'll lose sleep at night because you think to yourself, holy crap, like these people just bought an asset for me that I am responsible to drive the value of and I need to return these people's money somehow. So it's it's very much like taking capital at a venture fund. Like I need to to be smart with this money to take this money and make sure it is somehow building the crunchy cow brand and building out right. and, and returning these people's money in some way. So if you were to launch another line of of 10,000 NFTs, um would do you think that's what your hard cost would be? Would you be doing everything by yourself or are there other um other people you want to collaborate with or, or other vendors you want to use or tools that you feel like would make the process easier? I would love to be able to write a smart contract myself. I feel like that's going to be super beneficial in the future. Uh, I have no idea how to do it now. I'm my, when my brain sees code, it runs for the hills. So I need to put myself through that boot camp, and then we'll see how it goes. I know working with other people, it's all about saving time. You can compress the time if you work with a good developer or a good uh, promoter or business manager. It's going to compress the time, uh, you know, down to a third. So in the future, I'll I'll try both, but I'm. I'll most likely always work with the team. And one thing I'd really do if I could go back in time is I would learn about Discord and Twitter a lot more. I've always been on Twitter, but I never really understood engaging with an audience on Twitter. And Discord is like the, the central hub of the NFT world. You need to have your own Discord. You need to have uh, all the fancy bots set up and have a community growing there around the same amount of uh, the same interests. So by the time you launch an NFT line, it, the word is already spreading for you. I mean, I built mine from scratch. I didn't make a Discord until like 30 days in. So if I could go back in time, I would have definitely built up the buzz a little bit more before before my launch. Discord definitely seems vital to most of these uh, NFT lines, but but most of these NFT lines don't have the TikTok reach you have. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think your TikTok sort of replaced Discord. It did that. Yeah, I looked for my sort of unfair advantage in the situation and doubled down on it. Um, but I also once you post a lot on TikTok, you know that the TikTok algorithm does not like people promoting products or saying go buy this or I'm um, trying to think of examples like even in announcing, oh, I am dropping this today. Like that's not what TikTok wants. TikTok wants knowledge that is you know, spreadable and shareable for everybody. They don't want anything that sets off that, oh, this is promotional. So you have to sort of uh, be nice to the TikTok algorithm and not be like a, a snake oil salesman on there. So you, you can do it a little bit, but that reach is only going to take you so far. So you will hit a sticking point if either one of them is only so big. So my Discord isn't so big. Uh, my TikTok is. So uh, I've felt that I've sort of maxed out TikTok, so I need to uh, go back, invest in Discord, Twitter, and maybe experiment with some paid promotion without doing anything like uh, overhyped or FOMO'd or like, this is the next Bored Apes. It's got to be, again, about education and entertainment and like, you know, maybe you'll connect with this brand, maybe you won't. Can you talk about why utility is really important for NFTs and if uh, crunchy cows have utility. Yeah, it is. And that's one thing that I, I thought that I could launch the line just based on artwork. I've seen other artists do it like Fuocious and uh, some uh, D-Face Studio on, on Twitter. He was on TikTok. They launched simply based on the artwork. And as an artist, that's like the easiest thing for me. Like I loved it. I could draw all day long. So if I could make that happen, like that would be amazing. Um, but once you do that, you quickly realize that people are investing in you, in the artist, but what else do they get out of it? Like, why why are they buying this? Why right. is your NFT different? What What is in it for me? And you quickly feel that the second you go to market. Like, And that's the word utility that everybody is throwing around. So immediately when I felt that I was into generating the cows, I started thinking to myself, all right, after this art launches, 100%, my next milestone is all about the utility building a, a crunchy cow country club where people can either stake, stake their cows, create new cows. There could be a pool or there could just be meetups or in real life events or, you know, concerts from musicians. 
I mean, everybody's doing that stuff. So you got to think a little bit differently. And even with like my roadmap, I don't have every step planned out, but I know for sure, like this needs to be my next focus and I will figure it out. But if your NFT line doesn't have utility these days, if it doesn't give people uh, an outsized chance of um, getting a, or, you know, getting 3X ROI on their investment, they're not going to be buying into it. Like they may invest in you as a creator because you've, you've given them so many tips, but they're looking for a return. It is an investment. It is a financial decision on their end. They want to be able to flip it most likely. You know, be part of the community, but also earn something. What is the crunchy cow roadmap? So every thousand cows, we have a milestone. So that's that's all I can focus on. And my first milestone is like my driven focus, selling 1,000 cows. At 1,000 cows, 10 people get airdropped cows, which is they get gifted a cow for free. We pay the gas fees. And then we'll have the funds at that point to build the uh, crunchy, I have a hard time saying this, crunchy, crunchy cow country club and where we can build yeah, out nice. all of those utilities. <laughs> and it's almost like you build, you know, your discord is your hub. And then uh, we'll build that, that next gear, which is the country club. And within that, we'll release different products and figure out what they are. Definitely something to give back to the buyers that have held, which is either doubling their cow earnings in, in the form of more crunchy cows that they can sell or flip or do whatever they want, or the staking where they can earn reward, either crunchies or food to buy more crunchy cows or to buy items in the merch shop. And I'm still figuring out, there's, there's some things I wanna do with a pool, either where we buy other NFTs and people can earn from that. And it's sort of a fractionalized earnings, but and, you know, this is all stuff I need to throw myself in the fire and, and learn about and will probably be TikTok series in the future. Where does this country club live? Where, you know, how, how would people get to it? Is this a Web3 website or, mm -hmm. or something else? Yeah, I think of the easiest way to do it. And just from what I, from what I know and what I've seen is build the website, like build that first website. I know like the temptation and I'll talk to companies. They're like, no, we want to be in Decentraland now. We want to be in the sandbox now. And I sort of think to myself, well, build out the products on your webpage, see what resonates with people. So when you go to Decentraland or sandbox, it's sort of tested. So you didn't buy that land for nothing. And you know for a fact when people come in your shop there, like these things are going to resonate with people. So my first step is building that website and you can easily connect your wallet. It can read that you have a crunchy cow in your wallet. So it, you can interact with that webpage. They don't have to do anything. It's all like sort of automatically done for them. I would think with, with as many TikTok followers as you have, um, you would be sold out of crunchy cows already. Why do you think you are not sold out? I don't think I put the money. I didn't, I don't think a TikTok following is as strong as a, a large Instagram or YouTube following now, or even a celebrity following. I think it will get there one day, but for now, people are scrolling by too fast to have, I think it's just like their little kick of knowledge for the day or entertainment of the day. I don't think they're stopping by to follow this long form journey like you would with a, like an artist or a YouTuber. Um, so I didn't have the pressure on my line um, to, you know, to get the word out to like, like a very focused uh, group of people that would all instantly jump on it. I think you know, there's probably a ton of people following me that don't even get my message in their feed or have forgotten about me or don't even come back to TikTok. So I think um, YouTube artists or influencers with big followings there on YouTube or Twitter, or even um, artists with big followings on Instagram or uh, Twitter are better positioned than people with big followings on TikTok. Can you talk a little bit about where you think this is all going with art, music, uh, film, uh, culturally, where is this going? The thing that, that resonates with me the most are blockchain and smart contracts. I think they're just going to make life so much more efficient and transparent. Um, I don't know what the media on top of that is going to look like or the utility on top of that is going to look like, but I know for, let's take film for an example, um, a film, right now, a film producer would go out and raise money from a VC or somebody, and then, or they get actors on board and say, hey, we have Denzel Washington and Steven Seagal. They, these are our actors, and we're making um, Training Seagulls. That's our movie. Like, give us the funding for that. So that producer would take that funding, then go hire the cast, make them movie. 
But with NFTs and smart contracts, you can write one contract, bring the actors on board, split the wallets. The producer gets a split. The cinematographer gets a split. The actors get a split. The, uh, the people who funded it get a split. Uh, you can do a pre-sale, which would fund the movie. There'd be a whitelist for it. People who get on that whitelist would buy the NFT and they would get access to interviews with the actors or get to watch the film being made every day. So that would fund the movie. Then when the movie comes out, other people would buy the NFTs as tickets. That money would immediately get split to everybody's wallets. And it's just like decentralized uh, production that removes all these uh, unnecessary steps like going out and getting funding or getting Hollywood or like a studio's permission. It's these smart contracts like gliding on the on the blockchain, just the creators and the and the, and the audience. What haven't we talked about that you feel audiences should know about your journey with with uh, NFTs? Um, let's see. What haven't we talked about? I try to anytime I feel like I have something to talk about, I pretty much aim the camera myself and make a TikTok about it. So I feel like we've gotten a lot of it out because I'm not feeling that urge. Other than they're not just JPEGs. I mean, I I that's what I thought with Board Apes. Uh, thinking that an NFT is just a JPEG that you know, it's easily right clickable and saveable. Um, I think you should go through the journey, take $100 and create your own NFT line, just upload something to OpenSea and try to sell it. And you'll have a different perspective on NFTs and you'll respect them a lot more. And you'll also see where the future is going with, you know, this whole creator economy and creating and, and working directly with an audience. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well, thank you very much for coming on the show today and, and sharing your journey. I, I think it's a uh... Uh, an awesome line of NFTs. For more info on Ryan, check out Crunchy Cows at mint.crunchycows.com and definitely head to his TikTok at RyRyArt, which I'll put all, uh, all these links in the description. Uh, thanks again, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Matt.